And I would invite you to open up to James chapter 3. For those of you who are new with us or may have missed uh, the last couple weeks, this is a continuation from two weeks ago. And by the way, i got to say, I've been doing ministry with Rob um, since the mid-90s. And this is a first, that he wore inside-out clothing. Um, I was actually thrilled because uh, the worship leader is supposed to be one of the hippest people in your church, and no one wants to see um, anyone our age in skinny jeans, so I was glad he wasn't going that route. But the inside-out shirt, I was like, very, very hip, very cool. So anyways, turns out it's an aging thing. Um, so two weeks ago, uh, we looked at a very vivid picture of the tongue, and I think it's particularly pertinent for those of us who can smell the effects of fire on a regular basis and see that on our evening news every night. James chapter 3, verse 5. I just want to read it again, kind of remind ourselves uh, what we looked at with the tongue. Verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Uh, James is not one to mince words. He speaks bluntly and straightforward and does so with the tongue. Once lit, the words that we say do their damage. And try as we might, we can't get them back. Um, We can only learn from that moving forward. Take heart though. God will help you with your tongue. I think there's a part part of the mystical thing about worshipers gathering in the name of Jesus Christ. As Rob prayed, not paying penance, not paying God back, but re-reminding ourselves of the free grace of God that's enough for the whole wide world is that we are using our tongue in the way that God designed it. God designed our tongue to praise. And so there's something powerful that happens when we not just hum along in our mind to worship music through the week, but when we gather with other saints and we hear our tongue doing what it was designed by God to do and hearing others lifting their voices doing what it was designed to do by God. I won't make you say it this time out loud, but two weeks ago we affirmed that our communication ability is a work in progress, all of us. We looked at four signal killers to to real dialogue. We tend to misjudge the power of our words. We tend to misjudge the effectiveness of what we say. We tend to misjudge our ability to control our tongue. And we also tend to misjudge how exposing our speech really is. Your tongue reveals your heart. We're in this series called Marriage Reflection. And marriage by God's own design is to mirror something far greater than your little love story that's going on. It's really the most beautiful story of redemption in the world. And Jesus is the groom and people being redeemed by him, trusting in him, are the bride. And this intimate communication that is freely shared and freely enjoyed is to be a picture of what our marriages point to. The whole idea behind our title this morning, Speak Well, is to clearly call you to worship with your mouth and with your ears and the source of those, your mind. 
Words have this incredible power to form and nourish relationships. Think about that. Words form and nourish the relationship. And conversely, the wrong words or no words have a tendency to starve and eventually destroy relationship. Little Mermaid, Ariel. She's trying to form a relationship with her beloved Eric, right? And what does the wicked Ursula do? She removes the power of communication from Ariel, right? The ability to form a connection, the ability to form and nourish a relationship is removed. Words have that power. Now, if you're taking notes, you'll notice that some of your notes are already filled in. I magically did that. I went and wrote in all of your handouts uh, the first half, in case you missed the, the first half or weren't paying attention two weeks ago. I get it. So half of it's filled out. Let's jump right to the key truth. The key truth is where you start filling in, and here's the key truth, that loving communication doesn't come naturally. I did not say that it was a earth-shatteringly new revelation. I just think this is a key truth to get our heads around. Isn't it true that if we think that this should all come naturally, then we get frustrated and we respond and we actually try to solve the problem in a different way? But if we remind ourselves that loving communication does not, will not come naturally, it sets us up in a whole different trajectory. Basic sin nature prevents this. The reason this is so key to sort of get our heads around and remind ourselves of is this. We don't need some tweaking or some principles to memorize. We need an overhaul. What we really need is a savior. Jesus taught very plainly that the words are the fruit of what's going on in your heart. Your tongue is like a periscope to your heart. You want to know what's going on in your heart? Watch what comes out of your mouth, Jesus says. So what we need is a complete makeover of our heart. This is the Christian gospel, right? Change from the inside out. Change by an outside source in. Not that we would just sort of ramp up or, or get better at communication. If I could just do that, I could save my marriage or build a great marriage. That's not true. Communication struggles are notoriously common between spouses. Can I just get an amen? You're in safe company. I'll say amen, okay? Um, We can breathe here. We just sang songs about grace. We know God is helping us. God wants to work toward this. Let me give you a couple of thoughts on this. One is because of this. Opposites really do attract, okay? There's something up to that. Um, I want you to think for a minute, try to name an activity or a sport or a hobby that would describe you as a conversationalist. We all converse in different ways. So try to attach a hobby or an interest or a sporting event that maybe you go, I'm sort of like this, okay? I, I thought about this, um, this was actually a few weeks ago that I thought about it, but I'm going to tell you about it today. Maybe this is, maybe this is one of you. Uh, some of you are like chess players when you talk. You take turns. You're very civil and calm, but you are always focused on your next move. You are always sort of positioning yourself so eventually you can look at your spouse and say, check, mate, right? Some of you are chess players when you talk. Some of you are like kids' soccer teams. Conversation is a team sport that you can freely jump in on at any point. And your position on the field is completely irrelevant. You will just talk and talk and run tirelessly with your tongue whenever you feel like it, uh, either until you wear out 
or until your teammates wear out and, and they just leave. But it's okay, you'll start again the next day. Some of you are staring contest people. Your idea of great dialogue is not talking and blankly staring psychotically at your spouse. Right? That's your idea of a good conversation. You're like, this is good. We're communicating. Some of you are rugby players. You are enlivened by conflict and struggle. You haven't really begun a conversation until people are bruised and bleeding. Everyone in the conversation, you're like, yeah, now we're talking. Lastly, some of you are opera singers. There's lots of passion. There's heavy doses of emotion, but no one really knows why. Uh, Other people can't follow what you're talking about, but they clap loudly because they have this sense that you need lots of affirmation. So they cheer wildly when you're talking, but they have no idea what the storyline is or what's going on. Let me say it again. Loving communication does not come naturally. This is because sometimes opposites attract. What's great is when you have a staring contest person married to a kid soccer person, in the dating phase, what happens is, it's like the opening scenes of Up. Remember the the, the, the Pixar movie? One's not talking, doesn't have a clue what to say. The other one won't stop talking. Like, this is great. This is a great match. Sometimes that works out different. It's not just that opposites attract. Uh, there's also gender differences. The science is in. God gloriously and beautifully created male and female. He called both of them amazingly good. And they're very different. What I want to do right now is get in trouble by just using really broad brushstrokes on gender. Okay, In our climate, this is really, really dangerous. I get, don't even email about this because I know this. You're going to say, uh, you said that husbands typically do this and wives typically do that. But in our relationship, it's the other way. I know. I know that. I'm just using big, broad brushstrokes, okay? So let me just sort of stereotype for a second, and you can apply grace where needed. All too common, here's what happens. The husband and wife talk at the end of the day. The husband helpfully provides solutions at supercomputer speeds to a problem that ails his dear wife. Seen from another lens, the wife is thinking, man, this husband of mine jumps into fixing problems that aren't even problems, which he would have known if he just let me finish my thoughts, right? To which the husband wisely doesn't say, but thinks in his mind, finish her thought. If I let her finish her thought, her thoughts never run dry on any subject. Of course, I would never let her finish her thought because we would, we would just never get anywhere. Now, this goes on all the time, and here's what may be happening. Let me just take a crack at some scenarios that may be going on, Okay. Men are regularly called on to help solve problems for women. Now, I know that's also conversely true, that women are called to to serve men in that way. But here's what happens. Men are called on to solve problems for women, and many men are geared toward problem solving. So this suits them really well. They go, man, I'm really good at this. And so what then begins to happen is this. Success in the past may have the man all too eager to apply what he has learned in the past to the present situation, thereby ignoring or not being able to see the current damage that might be going on in the current conversation. What might be happening is that the wife is not feeling heard and perhaps is even feeling belittled or childlike or worse yet, dominated. 
The woman may be trying to just process her day. Inside Out did a great job. I'm mentioning lots of Pixar movies today. I don't know why. Not planned. But Inside Out does a good job of showing some of the science behind how human beings process their thoughts. And, and, and part of how we do that is we talk. We all talk and sort of sort out what we're going to remember, what the key parts are in all of that. Maybe the wife is trying to process her day and, and she's just trying to talk and, and sort of figure this out. Husbands jumping in to solve... Maybe not as altruistic as I mentioned before. It may be this. It may be their fear of failure. Men in particular do not like to fail at something. And so sometimes they won't even try. Think about this. If you are someone who misses nuance, lacks empathy, you have a very hard time seeing it from another person's perspective, or you're just feeling depleted, really listening to your spouse is terrifying. So cutting off and trying to problem solve may be sort of a safety release. I tend to always get this wrong. I don't know how to empathize. I don't really know what's actually being said. And so I'm just going to jump in and problem solve. I know that will probably cut her off, but that's my safety valve out. Wife, she may be pouring out all of her day's feelings and troubles with no ability to sort or read the spouse. Hear me, if the full weight of every event of every day is landing solely on your husband, those shoulders will eventually crack and fall under the weight of it. It could be that the wife is simply trying to connect and she finds that sharing her feelings and talking is the most natural way of doing this. Husbands often don't feel this need and the lack of reciprocal interest hurts at a really deep level. Going a little darker, the wife may be a judgmental and nagging person. Instead of having friends, family, and a loving spouse that lovingly confronts this, and they work on repenting and saying, how can we grow in this? Instead, the husband just pulls back. And when the husband pulls back, the wife feels relational distance and solves it by judging and nagging the husband, which only furthers the gap. I've just begun, haven't I? I mean, we could really go down this rabbit hole a long way. And at some point, if you haven't already, you'd go, yeah, that's kind of us. So loving communication does not come naturally. This goes sideways in so many different ways. Uh, it really ought to lead us to God help us, which is why we're here this morning. It's clear that we struggle with communication because God has put so much instruction in the Bible on loving communication. He's just, it's chock full of it. Whether in a contract or a warning sign, if something is really important, you know what you do? You put it in writing. If you really want to get something across, you put it in writing. So I'm going to blow through tons of verses this morning. I think almost all of them are written in your notes. This notes section may live in your Bible for weeks to come, and you can refer back to it. And the thing is, every verse that I brought up, there are 10 more behind it that you could go research on your own. I hope you will. And I hope some of these will be committed to memory because that's where we're at. Here's a key verse in all of this. Ephesians 4.15 says this, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. In your notes, circle the word every. We're to grow up in every way. Speaking the truth in love is sort of these two giant guardrails. 
You can look at Jesus and know this, that in every conversation, he was filled with truth and filled with grace. I'll tell you what we struggle with. We struggle with knowing, God, where do, which side do I lean on? There has to be a perfect middle because that's Jesus. But there's so many situations presented to us where we just say, oh, do I be gracious or do I be truthful? And the answer, according to Scripture, is yes. So keeping in step with the Spirit is finding out how do we do that? How do we speak the truth in a loving way? How do we love by being truthful? Man, those are challenging things that we need God for. Let me give you four really practical ways to grow up in loving communication. Number one is this. We speak well by not speaking. Sometimes this can take the form of absolute silence. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Proverbs 17.28 says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Some of us could learn from that. Just shut the trap for a second. Be totally silent. Be committed to not saying anything for the first 30 seconds so you can engage the brain. So it may take the form of absolute silence, but it also might take the form of just listening well. Look at Proverbs 1.5. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. Proverbs 12 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Can't tell you how many prideful married people there are who are not simply listening to the help God has provided. They sleep in the same bed every night and they have shut down learning anything from their spouse. That's the foolish person. We sometimes teach couples, Becky and I, when they're having issues or we even do this actually in premarriage counseling together. We say sometimes in your marriage, you may have to come back to this. It feels really mechanical, but it it ensures that you have understanding instead of just this exercise of volleying words back and forth. And so we say to someone, after someone speaks and you're having this conversation, you seem to be at an impasse, have the other spouse say this, are you telling me that? And then repeat what is said. And then the other spouse can lovingly say, Yes, but you got this part wrong, and then you can begin getting traction. Or a second phrase that's really helpful sometimes is to say this, can you explain what you meant by? So as you're sitting here really trying to engage with your spouse, really trying to understand, and you think you've got it, but you really don't have any idea what this means, or you begin to feel defensive, and you go, let me make sure I have that right because I'm feeling accused. And when you ask that question, can you explain further what you mean by this? You go... Okay, that wasn't an arrow pierced at me. They're just expressing something. Particularly men can benefit from this one. And again, wives, don't be coy. Don't play games. Don't say, well, the husband should just know. We don't. So help us. But after a conversation and your husband is diligently being still, knowing that he's God, knowing that he's not, and just listening and genuinely trying to receive... At the end of all of that, sometimes this is a really helpful phrase. And again, just it'll feel very mechanical at first. You can work your way forward. Of all that you just said to me, what do you most want me to hear? What that does is this. That allows maybe a talker, and it's not always the the wife. It allows the talker in the relationship to just go, man, I'm in safe zone. I'm going to tell all about, and then say, or at the end of it, it's this right here. 
This is the most, this is the most key message. It actually helps both uh, people in the couple process. Some listening skills are this. Just listen to gain understanding rather than listening to offer advice, listening to fix, listening to kind of put in your time and go, I know the right wife or husbandly thing to do is to be listening, so I think I should be here right now. And don't listen for ammunition. Don't listen for rebuttal points. Listen to understand. What if your listening just became a gift to your spouse? I promise you what your husband or wife wants far more than something on their anniversary, some elaborate gift, some elaborate trip, is a person in this world who will just listen to them and really try to understand. That sets conversation in a different way to say, God, I'm going to come home from work. I've got my world of stresses that are not leaving me. They're going to be there for tomorrow. I am going to gift my spouse with my presence to listen to her or him today. Just listen as a gift. Here's another thing. Study what your spouse is really saying and not just what he or she is speaking. That means you're reading tone. That means you're reading body language. That means you're reading posture. All of those things matter. If you come home and say, how was your day? And your husband says, fine. And you somehow think, good, I've done my duty. We're all checked in. We're good to go. You know in your spirit that's not true. Take some digging. Finally, believe the best about your spouse as they speak to you. Believe the best about your spouse. Isn't it true that we need a quiet, silencing, we have to silence chattering voices in our head sometimes? Sometimes that's just the enemy. He's lied to you before. He's lying to you right now. He's, uh, he's, he's promising that, but he'll never follow through. So quiet the chattering or the accusing that's going on. I plead with you. For the sake of strong marriages, for the sake of an accurate picture of what Jesus and the church are like, don't be a fool. Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. We are in a sea of fools. Let's not go down that path. Speak well by speaking less. James 1.19 says this, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Anger seems to accompany quick speech, which quickly leads to disaster. Why? Because the anger of man doesn't accomplish the things of God. Think about your last marital spat. Okay? Think about this. Could it be that the opposite of this verse was at play? Let me read it to you. Were you or your spouse slow to hear, quick to speak your own mind, and quick to anger? I applied this to my own marriage a few weeks ago as I was prepping for this. And I thought, wow, this is the source of of conflict in conversation. The opposite of what James is telling us to do is at play. We're slow to hear or not hearing at all. We're quick to speak our own mind and we're quick to anger. Proverbs 17 says this, whoever restrains his words has knowledge and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Loving communication means at least the following, pausing, praying, and thinking. If you are quick to speak and slow to hear, Proverbs 18 is for you. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. 
Loving communication considers timing. Especially early in marriage, you need to figure out why do we keep blowing up at each other? Oh, that's because timing is off. Timing can be everything of when you bring about either the troubles of the day or a lengthy, weighty subject that needs to be talked about. Loving communicators get input from wise counsel before approaching a difficult subject. That's why the older men in the church are to be pouring in and investing in the younger men of the church. The older women of the church are to be pouring in and investing in the younger brides. This couldn't be more true in marriage. We have a lot of people who live in this valley and they are displaced from their physical families. Sometimes because this is where the job has led them. Sometimes because it's, you know, the, the coasts are filled with people running as far away as they can from very dysfunctional homes that they grew up in. What a beautiful opportunity to have not perfect marriages, but marriages that have sustained and are thriving and growing in the grace and gospel of Jesus Christ, investing in and pouring in. You know what this takes place? By just inviting a couple for, for a simple meal. Hey, you appear younger in the road of marriage than we are. We'd love to just get, to, get together with you and learn from each other. What happens is this beautiful thing. Older couples are rejuvenated when they see young love and when they they see naive love and beautiful service of a a young couple and that re-energizes them. And a young couple, if they're paying attention, they get to learn some hard-won mistakes from couples who've gone down the road a ways. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. So when I read this, don't think muster up more in the flesh. Think overhaul of the heart. Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that they may benefit from your mouth. All right, speak well also means quite simply not speaking death. Again, this is not earth-shattering advice, is it? Hey, you want to speak well in marriage? Don't speak death. Well, that's good. I'm going to write that down. What is forbidden in the scriptures? Think about the Ten Commandments. Two of the Ten Commandments. The third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And the ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Have very explicit commands for your tongue. That's one-fifth of the Ten Commandments. Now, you look at the other ones, they probably involve the tongue, right? So implicitly, I would say all ten of them have to do with your mouth and speaking. Here are a few things that are forbidden in the Scriptures. Gossip, complaining, grumbling, and arguing. Proverbs 18, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's innermost parts. That's not saying, that's not a good thing. That's not like a warm cup of hot chocolate. That's not what it's talking about. That's a bad thing. Philippians 2.14. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Do everything. That means be married without complaining or arguing. Do you see why we can't just memorize a couple of good communication tips? Don't go buy the latest bestseller on how to communicate better and think that that's going to, you know, sort of like re-energize your communication and save your marriage. Friends, we need an overhaul of the heart. This is a gospel issue for us. 1 Peter 3.10, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, who doesn't want that? Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. 
Elsewhere in a long list, it just says, put aside falsehood. A guy by the name of Jordan Peterson is a professor up in Canada, wrote a best-selling book called 12 Rules of Life. Yeah, 12 Rules for Life. And rule number eight is this. Tell the truth or at least don't lie. (laughs) Not quite the biblical standard, not quite put away falsehood. But in this book, he, he sort of appeals to a lot of Christian knowledge. And he always refers to it as sort of ancient truth. And this and that, but he quotes the Bible extensively through it. And then he says this, in paradise, everyone speaks the truth. That's what makes it paradise. It's gaining traction with all kinds of people, religious and not, because they see things not working. Chris and Shannon Watt and their family uh, have been in the news. They're the Colorado couple that um, now contained one alive person and the rest of the family is dead. The husband's probable doing has been accused of it. Here's what I want to highlight, that their cute social media presence is shocking people left and right. You can't read this and it's not meant to, but basically it's the wife expounding what an amazing rock of a husband she has. Let me say this. When we say put away falsehood, I think there's a certain sense with with social media that says this. All of our hashtag blessed things that we do, we, we, we amplify the joy and we sort of mute the struggle in our lives. Isn't that true? I mean, it would be really interesting if for a week, you know, everyone took a vow and somehow could pull off just posting like their real life, sort of the average mean, not just these high points where it's like, let's take that again, let's take that picture one more time, <laughs> let's recreate that. So what happens with this is there's, there's a cultivation of dishonesty that's going on and a nurturing of an image. And by nurturing an image, you're actually speaking death, not just in your own soul, but quite possibly you are speaking death to all of your followers on social media. Here's what I mean. It's not hard to begin to see struggle as failure or see struggle as the enemy. Let me go back to the opening thing I said. Loving communication does not come naturally. So if all you ever see is hashtag blessed from all of your other married friends, you just go, man, uh, we're struggling. This is difficult. What's wrong with us? Read your Bible. The Bible says struggle is all part of it, Right? Here's another thing that it could be doing. You being dishonest, nurturing an outside image could be doing this. Not only is that hurting your own soul by being dishonest, it is hurting potentially scores of other couples by this. It is breeding discontent. Isn't it easy to see maybe a husband that that publicly says great things about his wife on social media and then you could just go, my husband never does that at all. Or you could see a husband, you know, expounding just what, what a great wife she is and what, how she does this and this. And it happens to be a weak spot in your spouse. So it can really breed discontentment. Here's the thing. It's not even real. It's no different than comparing a spouse to an airbrushed model on a cover of a magazine as you're checking out at a grocery store. This isn't real. Speak well by not speaking death. The fourth thing is this, speak well by speaking life. How do you do this? Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
We learn to speak well. We learn to speak uh, the language of life and love from the master himself. Keep in the gospels, friends. Every conversation that Jesus has with another is an opportunity to learn and grow in how to look what a spirit-led tongue looks like. Marvel at what he doesn't say when he's accused and when he restrains his tongue. Marvel at what he does say. Of course, communication is more than words. Words convey the mind, but tone conveys the attitude. We all know that you could say the right things, the truthful things, and say it in the wrong tone or the wrong timing, and it's actually speaking death. Remember from two weeks ago, we have a value on the team that says this, make it helpful, not just truthful. Jesus went to great lengths to make things helpful for people, not just spouting off the truth. That's why he can say things in different settings and speak with any kind of person. Paul carried this on in the ministry in Acts. Peter does this. We see this over and over that you change your message if it's a four-year-old you're talking to or a 40-year-old scholar that you're talking to. Consider this, that my mouth pours forth something. I mean, the words that I say, it's pouring out something. Think of Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things, and the genesis of all words is what we think about. Therefore, speak about these things. Let these things pour out of your mouth. I'm going to have the band lead us in a song. Rob brought me this song. He's been wanting to do this for a while, and it's just sort of a teaching song. So you can sing along to it. If you happen to be a Hawk Nelson fan, you're going to like this song. But this song just nails some truth. We're going to sing to one another, uh, just hearing some, some truth back and forth. And as they sing, I want you to think of, of the great love chapter, and I want you to ask yourself, is my speech loving? Is my speech loving? And let's break that down. Instead of just binary yes or no, is your speech patient? Are your words kind? Does your speech envy or boast? Is it arrogant or rude? Does it insist on having its own way or does your mouth benefit your listeners? Are your words irritable or resentful? Do your words rejoice in wrongdoing or do your words rejoice with the truth? By your speech, would you be known as someone who bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things? Let's have the band sing. Yeah, you can thank them. Let's give them a round. Thanks, you guys. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, says Proverbs. Let me get to our key practice um, this morning, and it's this. Communicate first and most with your God. Communicate first and most with God. By design, people don't fill the God-sized void in us. When you keep in step with God, it actually puts all of your other relationships in their place. So let me say this, husbands and wives, but this is really just a human being thing. 
If you struggle to be heard, read Psalm 66. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. You struggle to be heard, know that God hears you. Let that be enough. Some of you are struggling that you're not being communicated with. Psalm 17, I call upon you for you will answer me, O God. God is speaking. The longing you have to be communicated with is His design. It's helped by people, but it is satisfied in God. Some of you are struggling to be understood. Take it to God. Don't put that burden on your spouse first and most. They'll never be able to understand you the way you want to be understood. This is a good thing. It actually drives us to the Lord. Romans 8.26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Some of you are so frustrated because you have all these things and it's very difficult for you to communicate with words. If you're struggling to speak your mind, practice in prayer. Let God's word richly dwell in you. His words give voice to our inmost desires and dreams. A powerful truth to hold on to, married people, as you go to God and seek not to burden your spouse is... 2 Peter 1.3. Think about this in the context of marital communication. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. All things includes a spouse if you are married. But your spouse is to supplement God's loving communication to you, not be the sole source of it. Let me give you two really best-selling books that can sometimes be used, I think, in ways the author would be horrified if, if they knew it were being used in this way. Love and Respect is a great book. It's taken from the concept of Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives. Uh, wives, see to it that you respect your husbands as unto the Lord. Here's what happens sometimes, though. Couples go and read the latest best-selling marriage book. They hear a testimony from someone that says, man, this unlocked the key to understanding in our marriage, and now we've got it figured out. And people go and read that book, and then this is what happens. The spouse says, I can't respect you if you don't love me. And the husband uh, says, yeah, well, I can't love someone who doesn't respect me. And so they sort of take the, the truth of it, and they use it as arrows toward the other person. Five love languages of. There's like a million of these now. It's like CSI. It's just there's all kinds of versions of the five love languages. Here's the trap. You ready for it? The trap is this. If my husband or wife would just become more fluent in my love language, we'd be good. Or if you're not one who casts blame, but you tend to heap all that shame on yourself. If I could just take more learning courses in my spouse's love language. I could just grow in that and, and, and memorize some things and, and then we'd be all good. These are great tools that should supplement learning, the loving communication that God's doing, but it shouldn't be the sole thing. Here's the message. Stop, speaking, stop, stop seeking from your spouse what only God can provide. Stop seeking from your spouse what only God could provide. Think of this just in communication for a second. This expands to all kinds of areas. 
You know, there's a danger of being stuck in a bad marriage. Here's what it is. You seek to have your deepest desires uh, met by your spouse, and then you turn bitter, hopeless, withdrawn, or angry when they inevitably let you down. And so you continue to spiral. Did you know there's danger of getting stuck in a great marriage? Here it is. You don't hear a lot about messages about being stuck in great marriages, but here it is. You begin to worship marriage and family, looking to your spouse as your source of joy, purpose, rescue, all the while you are living for a mist of a life. You sneeze, and whatever like mist is there, that's your life. That's your 80 years if you're fortunate. So you live for a mist, and you miss out on eternity. You can begin to take marriage and spouse, and instead of having it reflect on something far bigger, far greater, that's going to last for eternity, you pour all of your energy into this life. Find contentment where you are and seek to keep building toward a God-ordering marriage. Remember, you don't fall into these things. You build a great marriage. What if only one of us is building? You worry about your building. You pray, God, you work on my husband. God, you work on my wife. That's a God-sized thing that has to happen. I've got my own stuff. I'm going to keep building towards this marriage. I close with this. Here's a couple of key resources. By the way, if you don't use these as supplements to the key resource, you'll miss it. But two great books uh, that I would highly recommend to you. One is Communication Key to Your Marriage. If you don't like modern covers, I've got like the 70s cover of this Communication Key to Your Marriage. Um, There's something about it that just really stirs up um, the fact that, wow, they could make covers that look that bad and still have lots of good key truth in it. So if you want that version, I've got that in my office. Um, I've had many, many young couples read this um, as they've been do- going through pre-marriage counseling. It's a bit of a classic. A couple years ago, I read Crucial Conversations. And the basic idea was this. A bunch of researchers kind of went through and said, how come it is that human beings tend to perform their best when the stakes are highest? What's the physiology to that? What's the, what's the rationale to that? And while not written from a distinctly Christian perspective, all truth is God's truth, you will read that and be kind of floored to say, wow, it, it sort of undresses you and says, wow, that, I, I tend to do those same things. I really care about this. My heart rate goes up and my blood seems to drain from my brain and my mouth starts to move. I'm not sure what's happening. So that's another great resource. Again, I have that in my office. Happy to loan those out if you want those. We have many young couples in this. By the way, I just want to make mention, Tori Cook is getting baptized next service by her dad, one of our elders, Jim Cook. Um, super thrilled at that. We had a cheer go out at, at, in our house last night, just reminding that. Uh, but whenever you go to one service and miss the other, you don't get, get wind of that. Uh, we have many young couples that are hoping to be married one day. We've been saying, how do we start well? How do you start a great marriage now while you're just trying to be a God-honoring high school student or middle school student or college student, or maybe you're dating? Here it is. Grow up in loving communication at home. Wherever you live right now, whether it's roommates, parents, siblings, here's the thing. They are a barometer for how you will speak lovingly or not in your future home. The principle is this. Your current home, the now home, is sort of an indicator of what the then home is going to be. There's this myth that says, I know I talked to my parents this way. I know I talked to my siblings this way. I know I talked to my roommates this way. But when I get married or if I just had, you know, that perfect spouse, I would never do that. Married people can attest to this. No flying elbows. We don't even need amens. We just know this is true. When you get married and you start living with that person day in and day out and they see you in all your glory and all your not so glory, 
uh, it just begins to feel like, wow, now it just feels like home. This is just where I live. So you want to start well. You grow up in loving communication. You begin to practice by the Spirit. God, help me to be loving in my words. Let me have the band come on up. When you think about communication and voices, Jesus says this profound thing. And I've seen it carried out in a marketplace in Ethiopia. That the sheep here recognize and follow their shepherd. No one else. Jesus is the good shepherd. Many of you are sitting in this room because Jesus called you. Quite apart, maybe, from you even searching out his voice. And you heard it, you recognized it, and you followed him. Here's my grand advice for you leaving this room. Do whatever he says. Just go listen to your Savior. Go be in loving communication with your Savior and just do what he says. Don't wait for the pastor to say it. Don't bring it up in small group. Don't pray about it. Stop praying. Yes, the pastor just said that. Just do it. If you're reading the scripture and it's a mirror to your life and you go, wow, I actually do all things with grumbling and complaining. <laughs> this says do nothing without, you know, do, do, do nothing in that, in that vein. Stop it. You follow the master's voice. Here's the truth. We are all following someone's voice. We're all listening. We're all in communication with someone. My plea to you is to follow the voice of Jesus. God, thank you for the confidence we have that we are praying in line with your will when we say, God, help our tongue praise you. God, I pray specifically over marriages this morning. God, those who are having a great time of communication, would you guard them from pride? Would you guard them from thinking this is just how everyone should do it and they look with pity on all those who struggle? Would you guard them from idolizing marriage and having their heart leave their first love and their true need? God, I pray for those in struggling marriages. I pray today that you would rejuvenate the hope that we have in you. I pray, God, that we would say a great big yes we can to the fact that we can speak lovingly. We're in control of that as we keep in step with the Spirit. We're not in control of what other people say to us. So, God, we need you. We're your sheep. We're listening to you. Thank you for speaking to us in the community of believers here. Thank you for speaking to us in the trials. Thank you for speaking to us in song and in preaching. Thank you for speaking to us, God, through our spouses. Pray that you would grow us up in all things. Amen.